Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski, and special guest, Willoughby, who does not really want to be here. Oh, he just hissed at me. Uh, went to a restaurant for the first time, did sit outside, but I was with two friends, and it just, like, felt very normal. Um, the restaurant wasn't too crowded, which was what I was afraid of, because brunches in Los Angeles pre-pandemic were pretty freaking crazy and hard to get into. And I feel like now that the pandemic is over, quote unquote, it's like even more crazy. It's just, it's just nuts. <laughs> the world is freaking nuts, people. Mm. So we are on episode 40. Uh, we are coming up on the one year spectacular anniversary of I Like to Read. I believe that is in about two months. I think it was mid-June, so uh, get ready for some fun, exciting, to-be-determined stuff um, to commemorate the one-year anniversary. If you have been listening since then, hello. If you are new and just found me, welcome to I Like to Read, my little corner of the podcasting universe where, um, amongst the car horns and fun background noise, I discuss the discuss. <laughs> I discuss the five, sometimes six um, books that I read every week. Yes, I do actually read them. Um, sometimes I read more and they just don't make it in here. A couple of other things if you're new. Uh, make sure you're following me on Goodreads at I Like to Read Pod because that is the best way to see exactly what I'm reading in real time. Also follow me on Instagram um, for and Twitter, which is more just like my personal page and random musings, but definitely follow me on Goodreads if you're inclined to follow me anywhere. And if you could please, please, please rate and review and subscribe, especially on iTunes. Dropped if you're listening there already, great. If not, make your way on over to Apple Podcasts. Give me a little five-star review. You can leave just like a one-sentence review. The more words, the better, but as long as they're kind. Um, I would really, really appreciate that. That would really help out. Um, if you do do that and leave a screenshot, um, I will hook up some special sort of prize or excitement and gratitude for you. Um, and I think that's everything before we get into this week's five books <laughs> in a weird mood today. I did have a mimosa, um, and I don't normally drink very much, um, just because like, I don't really, you know, it's a social thing. Obviously it was with people. So I drank and they ended, they, I got there a little bit late and they actually ordered it for me. Um, would I have personally chosen to have gotten my own? Probably not. But since they ordered it for me and it was already there, I wasn't going to turn it down. Um, just one, you know, long gone are the days of doing the bottomless brunch. I mean, God, so many times when it's like 10, mim- 10 mimosas is a lot, but anywhere from like six to eight, but that's really like an all day thing because then you're Ubering there, you're stumbling out of there, you are napping and then you feel hungover, but it's fun. And I mean, I'll get back there one day, but just one mimosas got me feeling in a pretty good mood. Also got some free hummus. Um, shout out to Atmosphere Cafe in Mar Vista check it out local um i've actually i used to live kind of in that neighborhood now it's about 20 minutes from me in los angeles um but i used to go there quite frequently i haven't been there in a couple of years but they're still around they got a great little outdoor dining service everything is fresh and homemade um reasonable prices for los angeles and i got a free hummus so um win anyways that's that's what's new and what's up with me um so let us get into this week's five books i this is what happens when I drink. I have one drink and I'm like freaking crazy, right? I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> it's also just like being social and like being outside kind of like, it does lift my spirits and put me in a good mood. And I, when I woke up, I was like, ugh, I have to go be social and like go do things. And it's been so long, but it actually felt really good. And it was just a few hours and 
pretty close by and just got to see some friends, eat some yummy food, be in the world without feeling like too crazy and chaotic. So overall, win. anyways, <laughs> our first book today is All Right, All Right, All Right, The Oral History of Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused by Melissa Mares. Um, so I gotta make a confession. I have only seen Dazed and Confused once. Um, my affinity and love with Richard Linklater primarily lies with the film Everybody Wants Some, which is what some consider a spiritual sequel to Dazed and Confused. It is about a group of high school boys in 1980 in Texas, um, their first weekend before college. Just like Dazed and Confused, it's like not a lot really happens. There's no like crazy plot points or climatic climactic moments it's really just more about getting to know this ensemble of characters as they're like living their lives um and so i freaking love everybody wants some definitely one of the best soundtracks definitely one of the best movies ever but i um appreciate and understand dazed and confused i don't think i had nearly as much of a grasp and appreciation for it until i read this book and um so whether or not you're familiar with the film you should definitely check this out and then i you know want to go back and rewatch it now that i've had this whole oral history but it is so comprehensive in like a really fun way i mean it's hard to make it could be easy to make this sort of thing repetitive and boring um what the author melissa maris does she's developed years of her lives to really just getting this oral history about the entire film the conception of it um she spent a lot of time talking to richard linklater of course this book would not exist without him this movie would not exist without him as well as just um a bunch of different cast members a bunch of different people involved directly in the production as well as on the periphery so she really just like reaches all corners of the universe um she of course primarily spends her time talking about the movie and sort of you know how and why it happened and why it's so important um it really was crazy just like how you know this film could not get made today <laughs> richard linklater just kind of um had established himself with one movie before this the studios gave him some money and some free reign to have this be like a studio film but because it was also sort of this like indie lackadaisical slacker film it didn't really fit in with their traditions so there's quite a bit of like the history in terms of um, not just the movie itself and of course the fun stories that happened on set and the little you know relationships and anecdotes between the actors but also how this film fit into the studio system as a whole how the film industry itself was changing in the 90s and how this film and Richard Linklater kind of helped usher in that sort of new era um, and you know of course there's a ton about Matthew McConaughey and the all right all right all right because originally he like wasn't even really supposed to be in the movie um it really it's you know he has his own autobiography and it's not the story of Matthew McConaughey but there is a bit of time devoted to how he got into the movie um his sort of larger role in the grand scheme of things and how it launched his career um so it's really just it's told in interviews it is told sort of in the loose storyline of again Richard Linklater's beginnings and how this movie came to be um and then the rim you know the actual shooting and conception of the movie and figuring everything out and then how um the ramifications and how that movie has still reverberated enough in society where we have got a fantastic oral history of it um so it is a little bit longer but again it just like reads like you're just chatting with a bunch of friends even as someone who is not particularly fond or um attached to this movie in any particular way i still found the book incredibly engrossing fascinating um it just made me want to rewatch it again so for any you know film buffs link later fans fans of dazed and confused matthew mcconaughey you're gonna want to check this one out next we have girlhood by melissa phoebos this had been on my book um uh, my list for a very very long time another 
Longtime author uh, fave Melissa Broder recommended this. Actually, I believe blurbed this. Um, and I read another one of Melissa, Melissa Phoebos' books because I was introduced to her from Melissa Broder, um, Abandon Me, which was another collection of essays. I believe I talked about that in an earlier episode. Um, but Girlhood it was just another fantastic, I mean, the way that Melissa Phoebos has with words is just like unparalleled. The way that she makes it so seamlessly, I mean, it's definitely prose and it brings up all these fascinating ideas and concepts and things that are just so incredibly relatable. And also like, why didn't I write that? Why didn't I think of that? But like, oh man, like, why didn't I? Because she, she knows exactly how I feel. Um, so Melissa Phoebe, The Girlhood is a nonfiction um, exploration and set of stories, um, about Melissa Phoebos's life and what it means to change and be a girl in society. So it's mostly, I say nonfiction, not memoir, because there are memoir elements. It's her own girlhood and her own personal story is ingrained into this larger narrative about girls in society. There's some scholarly research in it. There's some more anecdotal um, pieces of her talking to other women. Um, she went through puberty at an extremely young age, about about 11, and I also went through puberty at a younger age. And of course, you know, puberty is dramatic and scary for anybody. Everyone's body's changing different hormones, but especially when you're so young and one of the first girls to go through puberty, um, that alienness and sense of unease, especially when you're surrounded by men and you're uncomfortable and you don't have um, the best guidance or sort of role models in terms of like what your changing body actually means because you're like losing your control in this weird sense. Um, it's, you know, it's got some more philosophical, larger <laughs> theories um, that are sometimes missing, I feel like. I mean, the cons I don't want to say it's a new concept or by any means, you know, sort of to explore girlhood and to explore womanhood. I've, in fact, talked about quite a few different types of novels and memoirs and nonfiction books that explore that topic. But the way that Phoebos just so is, you know, really ripping herself open and giving us this raw, unfiltered look into a traumatic childhood and a traumatic, you know, sense of self that she carried with her through adulthood, um, the way that, you know, she didn't prioritize her own happiness and her own beliefs and why that happens. And then the journey that she kind of takes to reclaim herself into, re even though she is now a full-grown woman, to reclaim that young girl um, is something that resonates deeply with me that I think will really resonate with anyone who reads this. Um, there's also some really cool, um, wonderful, like niche little illustrations by Forsyth Harmon, who I believe is writing, uh, has her own book, or maybe it's a graphic novel uh, or a memoir, but some sort of piece of literature of her own coming out soon, which I'm super stoked for. Um, so just if you're in interested in sort of uh, beautifully, beautifully written. Again, I cannot stress like how gorgeous the words are and just how they really feel like as if they were plucked from my brain, but said even like say the things I want to say um, and resonate deeply with me um, while also putting some of my own thoughts and feelings into the larger context of girl and womanhood is just was a wonderful read and definitely very powerful. So check that one out. And next, we have Call Baby by Morgan Jerkins. So Morgan Jerkins is another friend of the podcast. Welcome back, Morgan. Um, I talked about her nonfiction book, Wandering in Strange Lands, where she explores her ancestry and her roots and does a ton of fascinating research. Um, this is actually her first fiction novel, so I was very excited to read this. Um, I've been following her on Twitter for a while and just love her writing and was excited to see what would happen with this. She did not disappoint. Um, Call Baby is a definitely, you know, it's grounded in 
reality. It's grounded in Harlem, but it's definitely a little bit removed from the Harlem and the New York City that we know today. Um, that fantastical element is this thing called the call. Um, so there's this one family that they have this thing called a call, which is this, it's, it's kind of hard to envision, but it's like a different, it's an, a second layer on the skin, almost like a um, like a, like a bruise or some sort of like extra layer that you can cut off. And that call has extreme healing powers and this like sort of magical, you know, it's meant to regenerate. It can, you know, bring people back from the brink of death basically. So this one family has created a reputation and established themselves as like the family of call sellers. And so, um, another young woman in this neighborhood is desperately trying to have a baby. She's had a ton of miscarriages and she goes to this family as a last resort thinking that their call can save her. Um, they deny her that request. And so, um, then stuff unfolds. Basically this family ends up adopting a daughter who was born of the call, but was not part of their family. Um, and then the woman who gave up that baby who was adopted is actually the niece of the other woman who lost her baby named Layla. So we have a bunch of different women at different points in their lives, but it's not confusing at all because each of the women are very clearly established and like very clearly have their own stories and identities and purposes, which I always appreciate because sometimes Lord knows it is confusing when you have multiple different characters and timelines and it's like kind of hard to keep track of like who who has the agency when and like who has the intention when no it's all very clear here um so hallow is the the titular call baby she is the young baby who was born with the call and they don't really know where it came from so then she was adopted by this family that already has the legend of the call um and call is spelled c-a-u-l um so it's partly also there's you know a question this family that's selling the call pretty much only sells it to white families um, and denies the black families directly in their neighborhood even if they have the money they deny them the power of this call so there's definitely a lot of commentary about race and socioeconomic structure and class and how that all plays a part but when it has this like extra you know motherhood is of course an incredibly sensitive topic that can resonate with anybody and when you add this like supernatural call element which is like the sort of thing that can go unseen and kind of cause someone to create um you know it's not this it's not like there are fish or a mermaid or anything but the the call baby hallow who's now a young woman when we meet her later in life um has had to change and hide herself in her whole life because of this call um so eventually all of our characters kind of mesh together and meet up and three different ways that I won't get into, but the way that they each have their own journeys and stories that all kind of culminate in the way that Jerkins is just able to, to talk about family and talk about some of the darkness and the depths of it without it being like a dark novel, um, with there being some sort of hope and resolution and um, promise for the future is just it read really great and I'm excited to see what else Morgan Durkins has coming, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. And next we have Plum Rains by Andromeda Romano Lex. And you might recognize that author's name because I just, um, I just reviewed her most recent book a couple of weeks ago, Annie and the Wolves, and then um, connected with her on Twitter and another person on Twitter who recommended, who said, oh my gosh, if you liked this, you should check out Plum Rains, which was her other book before this. And I did really like it. It is very different, but also kind of similar. Um, we are not dealing with Annie Oakley. We are not dealing with time traveling. Instead, we are dealing with Japan in 2029 which i guess it is the future that's eight years from now and lord knows a lot can change but it feels like 
vastly creepy to think that this kind of world might be happening then. Um, Our main character is named Angelica. She is a nurse from the Philippines. She has immigrated to Japan in hopes of a better life. Um, She is the long-term caretaker of a young, of (laughs) of an old woman named Sayoko. Sayoko is about 100 years old, which in Japan is not too crazy at the time, Um, basically in this sort of futuristic society people are living longer, um, but because of that, people are also less able to have pregnancies. So it's um, the lifespan of the current population is extending, but the they're not having as much of a boom in a new population. Um, and then there's also um, AIs that are prominent in this novel, uh, <clears throat> especially um, with Sayoko. So there's this new um, robot, what's his name? Something with an H. Some new robot that's sort of um, meant to take Angelica's place, but also is like more of a friend and less than a nurse. And the way that Sayoko develops this bond with this artificial robot is like really weird. So there's, you know, the sort of sci-fi element of can inanimate objects have feelings and form love and attachment. And how do humans, you know, adapt to a world with them, especially depending on your generation, your need for these inanimate objects will vary and different and how you absorb and sort of accept that as a fact is different for everybody. Um, There's this fascinating, just the idea of Japan and that sort of whole, the world is different as imagined by and um, Romano lacks without it being like too different. So it's again, it's really cool. It reminds me a little bit also of the Clara and the Sun that I talked about in terms of this like semi futuristic role, but that feels very attainable with the sort of artificial intelligence that's a little bit, excuse me, wow a little bit um more ingrained in the novel as like are they a person are they a robot um and so the relationship with the uh with the two women it changes because of this robot the way that Sayoko sort of is dealing with her old age as Angelica is dealing with her past and some mistakes and things from her family that are catching up to her just like all dovetails really nicely um goodreads calls it a tour de force of science fiction and historical fiction i completely agree with that um she's done it again andromeda romana lax i'm excited to see also what's coming next from her because the two things that i've read from her have knocked it out of the park so and lastly but certainly not least we have a lie someone told you about yourself by peter ho davies um this was a really cool. It's a. I want to say it's a. No, yeah. Okay. It's, I wanted to say it was a novella. I think it was actually about two hundred pages, but it read really, really quickly because it's the stream of consciousness of our main character. Um, it's very spare and sparse. Like we don't really get to know anybody's names. We don't really get to know many like specific details. But what it traces is um. So this couple has been trying to have a child. They do get pregnant, but then they make the decision to terminate the baby because it will have some sort of um, genetic disease or genetic component that will make it unhabitable for life. So then they have a second baby. They're like, oh my gosh, this is our miracle baby. Um, and the second baby almost doesn't make it. And you're like, is the child going to make it? Or th-? And then uh, the child does make it. And the rest of the novel traces this fraught relationship with them and the child, this delicate balancing game of like, is the child going to survive? Does the child have an illness once you know, the child gets older and is like hitting certain milestones, but not other milestones. Um, Goodreads, again, I'm going to pull from them because they list a bunch of questions that really are what drives the root of this novel um, that is incredibly accessible. I've definitely talked a lot about uh, stories 
about motherhood, both fictional and non-fictional, I don't think we get a ton from the father's perspective. Um, and this one is pretty much from the father's perspective, looking on on the mother and his child and like this sort of wanting the best for your child, but also like, what can I do for them? Uh, when does sorrow turn to shame? When does love become labor? When does chance become choice? When does a diagnosis become destiny? And when does fact become fiction? Well, you'll find out some of the answers in this novel. And with that, ah, what else can I say? Have a great rest of your day, night, morning, evening, 3 a.m., whenever you're listening to watching this. And as always, stay reading. Bye, everyone. Mm-hmm.